0: what up what up everybody this is double g for the fight game podcast our monday show john and i are here uh talking about wcw saturday night and the clash of the champions that preceded it so just a reminder we won't have our normal show this week we're instead we're gonna have a special thanksgiving show we're gonna you know we we pre-recorded some stuff so you know we'll, we'll have a show then but you know we're gonna spend some time with our families on on thanksgiving so we won't record uh our aew and nxt reviews well we'll figure out a way to kind of talk about some of the stuff especially because of uh the build to uh, Omega and uh, and Moxley. So um, also after this segment, you'll hear us. You'll hear us talk uh, for a little bit. But the last segment will be my interview with Keela Cash, who is Lady Wrestling X, as part of our content creator interview series. Uh, I've been uh, following Keela just on Twitter and noticed uh, some good stuff she's been doing. I you know she's a unicorn in a sense a, a, a woman who is covering wrestling <laughs> you know you don't see very many women uh, though you see way more uh, women now who are doing podcasts or or writing uh, than before so i really like i really like that and i wanted to talk to her because i think she has a very interesting perspective on the wrestling business but before we get to Keila John we're going to talk about Clash of the Champions and WCW Saturday Night. I am really interested what you thought of this Clash of the Champions show. I, I'm not sure. I'm not. Sure. I don't know if I have a good read on what you thought, but I'm very interested in hearing your thoughts.
1: Um, it was a lot better better than I remember. Remember, that's definitely true. I thought um, I never. This is one of those clashes I never really went back and watched the whole thing. Uh, it's been a while since I watched it, honestly. So, but I, I enjoyed it. I had a good time watching it. There was some interesting stuff on it, and uh, some stuff that I remember disliking as a as a kid. I ended up just enjoying the hell out of it this time around. Like I just saw the greatest boxing match I ever seen in my life. Oh my god, Johnny Kirk Johnny Johnny be bad and uh, and Scotty Flamingo. <laughs> I, I hated that thing so much. I loved it. I thought it was great. I just thought it was. Uh, you know, it was just like a movie. That Johnny like B. Bad yeah. looked
0: like the, the biggest dunce I've ever seen at the end of that thing. Well, the referee's um, the biggest dunce, because how can you not see them soaking <laughs> his glove up? You know? <laughs> you know? Or DDP. Uh, well, we'll, I mean, we'll talk about it, but Spr- DDP as he's soaking, Spr- the, soaking the glove. Soaking the
1: glove. And yeah. he's
0: yelling at the crowd who's watching him do this, saying, shut up. Are we as if they're... What's up? Are we running match-to-match match with this thing, or are we... I will, I will quickly it. go... I'll, I'll quickly go over the segments. Got it, um, So, we, we open up with uh, Polly and uh, Medusa weigh in, and I really <laughs> like this, because Medusa is... Look, she is in shape, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She looked good. She looked good. Medusa's in shape. Polly, not so much. Uh, the first match is... Like really, you start the show on a downer because you you know you want to start with a great wrestling match, and instead they go heavy angle. I don't remember what happens after this, but uh, you know I, I'm looking forward to Pillman, uh, Brad Armstrong, mm-hmm. and uh, Pillman comes out, fakes an injury, doesn't want to have the match. That's kind of what happened with their with the last time when Armstrong was hurt right right before Pillman turns heel, and then uh, Pillman just nails him with the crutch. They start the match and he wins very quickly. And I was like, oh, I kind of wanted to see them have a really good match here. And we didn't get to see it.
1: Yeah, me too. But uh, it was still pretty hot. Um, it was short. It was hot. The crowd was into it. Um, was Maybe Brad was hurt again or re-injured. I, yeah, was, I, I don't know. I, I wasn't sure. I'm guessing maybe why this segment was so short or maybe not. I don't know. Maybe it was just like a, obviously it's, it's the reversal of what happened with, um, you know, Pillman faking an injury. Well, you thought, you know, you know, but Brad wasn't faking an injury. He was legit hurt at Clash 20, but Pillman's getting a little bit of revenge there. But um, yeah, I don't remember what happens after this. So I'm curious. I know P- P- Pillman gets kind of thrown into the tactile situation for a little bit, but um, I, th- I want to see the follow up next week. If there is one. Uh,
0: then there's Eaton Anderson against Eric Watts and Katsuki Sasaki. And this was literally the Eric Watts show, though, he was way off on his timing on some of this stuff in the beginning. He was trying to do a lot of this wacky stuff, running up to the turnbuckles and do, running you know, just running yeah. around like a chicken with his head cut off. He had the happy feet going. He was but c- the, yeah, but the whole match was there just for him to
1: uh, win with the STF. He taps out beautiful Bobby. Well, I'm guessing the match is going to be longer, but R. Anderson had a really bad knee. Mm-hmm. He was, God, man, he was struggling out there. He it was an much. injury in a previous match with Watts, I think,
0: mm-hmm. where he had to kick, I, I was reading in the Observer, I think Meltzer said something like he had to catch him on a dive or he had to catch like or something happened it was mistimed and Arne actually had to uh, do something that changed the thing
1: and, and that's mm-hmm. how he hurt himself. Yeah. Yeah, um, that, that's unfortunate. I think they probably would have had more time over story and everything, but um, I mean, they could just simply put Michael PS Hayes in there. Mm-hmm. and Arn could have been that ringside Nick didn't even mention the knee injury and just he could at least interfered and did some stuff but Arn didn't do anything he just basically tagged in I think choked on ropes a couple of times and that was about it but um uh, crowd was into Eric Watts though I mean we can always bag on him but he's, the crowd's crowd's digging him
0: the next match was the boxing match that you talked about which <laughs> if there ever was a um what what, what is that uh the, the what, what is the website that does like the football follies version of wrestling? Uh, not, is it, wrestle crap or but There's like a yeah, Boccia, yeah, yeah. Oh, botchamania. Yeah. Oh my god, like a, this is Russ Russell crap or botchamania segment. because no. Vinny Vegas. Cuts. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe yeah, the yeah, worst yeah. promo I've ever heard. on well, He television. forgets where they're at, or something. Well, he's supposed to be the Las Vegas guy. I Obviously, know him, Las yeah. Vegas is great for boxing. Uh-huh. So he's using this terrible accent. I've never heard a Las Vegas accent before, <laughs> and just trying to name old boxers. He doesn't even know any casinos in Las Vegas. He's losing his like, like losing his uh, his Straight train off, of thought. Yeah. Oh, so bad. Like, I can't. Like, this was like a. I'm assuming it was a pre tape promo. They couldn't have, like, got a better take. Or maybe this was a live promo because holy crap. It was so awful.
1: Yeah, um, it, it was. And then the, the Don King, <laughs> fake Don King, which I don't know who that was. Maybe Was that Pistol Pez? Was that Pistol Pez? Yeah, I don't know. I, I couldn't uh, tell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's. Okay. Yes. This would be on. The botch of manias and the wrestle craps but uh but not the match though damn it I freaking okay love so that match. so when you when we do boxing matches <laughs> you this is like okay, the greatest we, boxing match of all time this, this needs to be on Robert so, the great Robert silver's
0: <laughs> list of great boxing <laughs> well he's watching it because he's tweeting us about some of these matches so he watched it for sure he, mm. we'll get him to send us a note yeah. okay so Johnny B bad legitimate. Gold Gloves boxer, they've mentioned that many times. He should have knocked Scotty Flamingo out in about mm, 15 seconds. But uh, you know, there's the, there there's the stuff where he knocks him down and then they bring him back up and and you know, they're they're waking him up and come on, Scotty. And so they get him in the corner after he's taken a beating, and they put water in his glove, which I've mm-hmm. never seen before. My my thought was, oh, if they put water in his glove, it's gonna be so hard for him to throw a punch because the glove is gonna be so heavy. And Johnny B. Bad, as the boxer he is, the punch is gonna be so slow that there's no way in hell he's gonna be able to hit Johnny B. Bad with this. So Johnny B. Bad's gonna move out of the way, knock him out with the left hook, the kiss that don't miss, and that's gonna be it. But no, Johnny B bad, a golden gloves boxer who they continually say beat Razor Ruddock in in, in a fight before. He has to wait for Scotty Flamingo to throw this long punch to knock him out and he loses... The boxing match was he distracted, though? Was
1: there some issue with the referee and Michelle? Sure. Page? Uh, I mean, there this was, there was is, a lot is, of that. This was up there with Rocky Balboa movies. That's how great this segment was. Oh it's God. I mean the the openings round with the jabs, the big punch, and Sky Flamingo takes that great bump through the ropes. God, man, I miss a great bump through a ropes like that. God bless him. Flamingo was Flamingo was good. He was uh, he was. I mean, awesome. he, he can't he can't box to save his life. But no, he was no, no, good
0: as a, in the role that he was in. I, I I thought it was really fun but the whole thing I just didn't like it at all
1: I miss a heel just taking that bump like that out of the ropes I just don't see it anymore so I was like I popped big for that um uh, I was entertained I, and I used to hate and I used to hate I remember like oh man I don't want to see a boxing match I want to see a wrestling match you know like as a kid so um so I could I was I was I was happy with this Okay, so
0: then uh, then we had the another segment that was kind of mind boggling to me. You are promoting Starcade with the Battle Bowl, and the hook one of the hooks to the Clash is that you're gonna uh, you're gonna pick and announce one of the matches that's gonna happen at Starcade. So maybe they just did it as a shoot, and they were just gonna like oh. You know we're gonna just let whatever comes out comes out. Mm-hmm. We just saw Johnny B. Bad get knocked out in his own match, mm-hmm. and he's one of the guys. And I'm like, oh, Cactus and Johnny B. Bad. Oh, i I'm, okay. Cactus. Why do I want to see Johnny B. Bad in this? He just got knocked out by a non-boxer against Van Hammer. Okay, whatever. And the returning Dan Spivey. Like, when did we even know that he was coming back? Like, if you're trying to promote this Starcade, you couldn't have picked a Better like could you have mm-hmm. picked Sting and somebody to kind of hype up that pay per view?
1: Yeah, no, I know, I know. It was it was just a random, very random teams. I mean, actually, Cactus Jack and John Mad makes makes sense because the Beauty and the Beast thing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, Dan Spivey, I just laughed. I remember i mean i know the match already but i just remember thinking like man this is probably dan spivey's return number six you know the I mean? so we always end up yeah. going back and coming back and leaving coming back so yeah i know very strange and also the placement of it because we just saw johnny bad lose you know <laughs> so that was that was weird uh, okay, so then we had uh, th-
0: this commercial that played like five times. Slam Jam One, which I, is a CD. First, there was some rap on it. Then there was some country on it.
1: Uh, yeah, it was uh, what Ron Simmons song and Dustin Rhodes a song? I, did they ever make a Slam Jam Two? No. <laughs> no, the W7 never, never, never makes part two of anything. That's the thing. Um, I remember wanting this when I was a kid. Like, <laughs> yeah, I gotta get Slam Jam. I want. I want, I want that the, damn. Uh, I want that. Yeah, man, my Ruse. I wanted Ruse and Slam Jam. I wanted. Uh, uh, what else? I wanted the Road Warriors shoulder pads.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> okay, so this was the. This is the thing that I remember the most about this show. So. The match between the the what do they call it? The ghetto odds. odds, you know. So <laughs> that match just starts, like it just goes, like we don't even know who's in it. I liked it though. I like that. And then it was interesting. It was an interesting way to start it. I, I thought it started hot, except there was no introduction in in any way of too cold to the point that Jesse the Body Ventura. And Jim Ross also had no idea who this guy was, so it, it sets up for Ron to kind of introduce him at the end, which is was which by is design. different.
1: It was by design. I like it. I like it. Like, who is this guy? And they know he's gonna. I mean, obviously, they had plans for him to be to stand out because they gave him the finish. They gave him the finish, and you know, they know he had this hot finisher, the four fifty, and um, so yeah, he was featured. And it's like, well, who's this guy? He's doing all this crazy stuff, and then and then he just. Ex- Place explodes, and they see this 450, the move they've probably never seen before. I'm sure yeah. they've never seen it, obviously. And yeah, I think it was a great way to debut a guy. Like, and you just want to know, like, who is this guy? This guy's great. This guy's great. And then, and then I remember being disappointed in his name <laughs> 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 because, you know, T-Cool Scorpio, I'm like, well, where there's already a sting. You know, mm-hmm. stings a scorpion, right? It's on his, that's on his legs and it's on his tights. So I was thought too cold. Scorpio was kind of weird, but as a wrestler, I love Stevo Scorpio. I thought that he was so much fun to watch. He, he was awesome, but I mean, he did miss like two
0: things pretty badly in this match.
1: Oh like, yeah, he was excited. He slipped on the moon salt, and uh, you know, Cactus tried to cover for him, but but what the hell, dude? He was. I mean, he. No one forgot about. No one remembered those moonsault after that fucking four fifty. Yeah, th- this, like I said, this is the one thing that I clearly remember about this show. And where WWE usually messes up on production, they are really in a great spot for all those cameras to catch that 450 you know the one on the floor did you see the rotation on what he did like i thought that was cool and then the one in the ring too looked cool so now now this is a tv ratings thing Mm -hmm. but i did find it a
0: little odd that ron simmons is you know kind of in the beginning kind of not even in the middle of the show yet and he was just didn't you know? Not not that he had to be in the main event. Obviously, they had two really big matches that they wanted to put. But you know, you had the you had the Medusa stuff, and you know, I, I know it was a timing thing. But it's just in looking back, I'm I'm looking for th- reasons why Ron Simmons failed as champion, and this is this is kind of one of them.
1: Yeah, well, they had nothing for him. unfortunately, they had nothing for him lined up. I mean, they they it could have been him and Atlas, and that would have been good idea so he already beat cactus at the clash 20 and he already beat you know barbarian at home havoc so they did not really have anyone new yet i know they do have someone showing up next on the tv next week that's interesting but Mm um yeah so i mean it was it was fine and plus they're focusing on you know barry and dustin and the tag match and sting and rude sting's always a star though no matter what he doesn't totally no title he's the man right all right so then they do the update on the
0: Jesse the Body arm wrestling contest. And you to see poor Stone Cold have to arm wrestle Ron Simmons, who's got, like, arms twice the size of his. Uh, and then we get the Heyman and the Medusa segment. I thought this was also really bad. This sucked. Uh, it was so bad. So... um They do the announcements, and someone who resembles Kevin Sullivan in a wig starts (laughs) running down to the ring. And I'm like, okay, this is clearly a joke. But they were trying to sell it as uh, Medusa running down to the ring, and Heyman stomps a mud hole in this person who it turns out to be Mike Thor. No explanation why Mike Thor was the person unless he was in cahoots with Medusa. Medusa, uh, or
1: or Medusa, but the, no one—it wasn't explained. It wasn't explained. We, no, no. I mean, I, I mean, just me putting it all together was after my Thor was embarrassed by. You know the the public workout by Paulie Dangerously when they kind of got beat up by the Danish Lions members I and mean, this was his revenge. But I, th- I I I think they messed up. I don't think they were supposed to see his entrance. So you don't yeah, see that, him that, that's ring. that's
0: what Meltzer wrote in the no, Observer. Okay. Something about the Chiron. They were the Chiron was supposed to cover everything <laughs> and <laughs> <then> it, <laughs> it didn't. It didn't. So oh god. So then Dangerously knocks him out and he's. You know, t- he's like, ah, oh, now I'm gonna, you know, basically saying he's going to kiss her because she kissed everyone in the locker room. Yeah, you can't say anything else. It's <laughs> the closest thing you can say is to- And as he goes to pick up the uh, knocked senseless Medusa, he grabs the hair and it is a wig, and it pulls off, and he realizes that that is not Medusa. She sneaks in. Uh, PS Hayes sees Medusa come in he takes a powder he's out of there Heyman has to uh, have the worst peripheral vision of the in the history of wrestling he cannot tell that she's behind him and then he uh, she you know she takes a couple strikes at him he runs away she brings she he goes all the way back he brings she brings him back uh, and then he runs away again, and she gets some strikes in. She hits him. She hits PSAs, and somehow, after all is said and done, this is a draw.
1: <laughs>
0: so What stupid. the hell?
1: I know. It's so dumb. I don't know why. I mean, This is, this is probably his last appearance, right? Is it? I don't know. I, I don't like think I, said, he I haven't I haven't watched ahead at all. I don't think he does anything after this. I thought this was last time I saw him. I remember I remember that. I remember him being gone. But um it should have been simple. She should you know, they should have she should have came out, she should have been hot, she should have been kicking his ass. She hits the ropes to do something big to him, but then Michael Hayes trips her up, so that's when Paulie takes advantage. Then she makes a freaking comeback, maybe she even kicks freaking uh, maybe, you know, Polly's or Michael Hayes is holding her for Polly to do something. Of course, you know she gets out. Polly hits her. Polly hits Michael Hayes with the telephone. He takes a bump. She gives him a big roundhouse kiss. Knock knocks him out and pins him. What the hell? Like how freaking dumb is it going to go to the draw? to understand. And um, just a waste to end up being a hot thing they had going, and it just it didn't. The the finale was just a a blah 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 blah. Yeah.
0: No. It it was like a. It was a letdown like if you wanted to see mm-hmm. Heyman get his comeuppance you didn't if you wanted to see medusa get her comeuppance she didn't and so it was the, just like
1: yeah and why in the hell is Heyman not selling for her yeah he she would i mean i think she had to hit him legit a couple times for him to <laughs> do if, something if i was her i would have just punched him right in the face because like he wasn't selling shit. i think those knees got him I think, you know what, I think I think this is what Paul Heyman tells Brock, you know what I used to, when I wrestled Medusa, I ain't sell for shit. You ain't selling for this person. <laughs> Brock's like, okay, great, Paul.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so the next thing is the Sting and Rude match. 20-minute time limit. You got three judges, Zabisco, Matsuda, and Oli. The pr- they don't tell us exactly how scoring works so in boxing <laughs> we we know it's a 10 9 you know a 10 must yeah uh the ufc has not started yet so you know there's no ufc that they could actually reference they just say that there's judges there and you know if it's a draw they're going to score it so i the the problem i i had two problems with this match one they put the time on the clock mm-hmm. i mean they put the they put the time on the thing so you know that it's either going really long or it's going to a draw like immediately because they don't do that for any well, other match that you ever watched telegraphed it they telegraphed right. it. right and, and 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 maybe they maybe you know to an extent maybe they wanted to sell the thing like oh you know that's why we have these judges totally like i wasn't too frustrated with that but because they did that you know it's a long match and because it's a long match you know that they're going to have to extend the match out. So it kind of took the Mm -hmm. surprise or the style. And then once I saw that, I was like, okay, now I know what this match is going to be. A lot of selling. Lots lots of, uh, you know, holds. Now, the one thing, Rude's selling was amazing in this match. They're they're both great in this match. The thing I didn't like, though, if I I can nitpick at the end. So, we're we're doing the countdown. We know how many seconds are left. Mm Mm-hmm sting has no time remaining to put on a submission hold I to did. get rick Rude to I tap did. out I so you know he, he it's it's 10 9 8 7 and so instead of going for quick pins so sting could actually get the three count he's trying to put on the scorpion Deathlock, and basically the clock runs out as he's attempting to put on this move sting sometimes had these dumb baby face moves i didn't like that part the match was i i thought the match was good because of rude selling um sting was sting was good too but just you know they telegraphed it like you said now we get judges one judge scores it for rude two judges score it for sting it's a split decision sting wins the match
1: we still don't know what the scoring was well so what it is of, is like you write sting on the bottom of your paper you write Rick Rude next to him on the bottom paper and you do a line as one person in control you just go up they stop. They lose control. They go up. So whoever's the longest line at the end of the match, that's who won. I guess. Oh, well, I mean, because you did see them like just making tick marks. <laughs> that's what I would be doing out there. I'd be just actually drawing pictures <laughs> or something like that. But um, uh, I thought the match was good. Um, I think with the king that finished, I think they messed. I think they were off on their time if they wanted to do this match. I think time got away from them, and I think uh, I think the finish was going to be obviously the time limit, but. Sting should have locked that Scorpion in like in a minute left and then right in the center and then you know you think Rude's gonna tap he just never does right he holds on because you know he's still gotta give Rude something too right show some heart there too you know as a heel but you know and oh this is a way for them to get out of Rude not being pinned or you know losing which I think is stupid because he's He's still the US champion, you know. I think it's okay, but whatever. And it, it would have been better if they would explain the whole judge reasons for the judges, like, oh, we want to make sure there's a winner, you know, like, or at least when they talked about the tournament in the beginning, they could have said, like, in the semifinals and finals, we're going to have judges, you know, but, you know, that stuff like that, I think they should have done. But I really think this kind of like came after the fact right I think mm-hmm. once they booked the match and maybe Rudy didn't feel like job hey I'm gonna be wrestling because he was scheduled to wrestle Ron Simmons at Stargate yeah. so maybe he's like I don't want to lose when I'm having a world title match in the, the next pay-per-view and so maybe they, this is what they came in came as an agreement on just to do this And but I, I'll say the crowd wasn't didn't care they, they fucking popped good for that judges decision <laughs> that was probably the biggest pop for a judges I've ever heard
0: alright let's take a break to talk about indeed.com 2020 has already reshaped how we work and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be the most efficient, which means every hire is critical and indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site, according to Comscore. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause at any time and there are no long-term contracts. And now, Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. So right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job posts, which means more quality candidates will see it and fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer anywhere. Go right now. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. And then we had the main event, which was uh, Dustin and Barry versus Ricky the Dragon and Shane Douglas, uh, tag team title match. L- another another long match. Um, I I didn't really get super excited until the end, but it was uh, a spot of. One of those things that is kind of weird in pro wrestling where you're trying to win this match and you're doing these physical moves to each other, but Dustin accidentally hits Ricky low and Ricky is selling his nether regions and Dustin cannot take advantage of that as a babyface or as 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 Dustin Rhodes the babyface, which is a little weird. And I think because of that... I think the crowd, or at least me, I had a little bit of sympathy for Barry Wyndham here mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because Barry's like, look, man, like this is wrestling. We are fighting these guys. You need to follow up and win the match. Dustin will not win it that way. Barry comes in. He and Dustin mix it up. They get in a little fisticuffs. Dustin punches Barry. Mm -hmm. Barry gets uh, right into the belly to belly by Shane, and they win the match. And Barry is pissed, and Dustin is acting—you know, rightfully so—like he just screwed up. So he, Dustin, a looks like a screw up and B looks like a little bit of a simp for uh, not taking advantage of his buddy Ricky Steamboat who just told him you know the the weekend before that you know what we were a good tag team but guess what Shane Shane's a better partner than you and Dustin just you know he he was he was uh, really frustrated or, or not, I mean not frustrated he was really he didn't want to follow up on you know pinning the dragon so i to me Barry Windham is the one who I had empathy for. Now he loses the match. Him and Dustin go at it. Barry superplexes Dustin, and then at the end, he just destroys uh, Steamboat and Douglas with chair shots. I think the the Steamboat one uh, did actually catch Steamboat in the back of the head, and he
1: had uh, he he got busted open a little bit. Oh, you, uh, you caught that because you know what? I've never noticed that until I watched on the network and the great quality the network has. Yeah. I never knew he got bust open. All of a sudden, I see this like, like drops of blood coming on the back of Steamboat's head. I'm like, oh my God. Like, that had to rewind it a little bit. And I, yeah, he did clip in the back of the head. Of um, course, uh, regarding the match, like, the crowd wasn't really into it. I think it's, well, not that they were in, like, they weren't, they just, you know, it's two babyface teams, right, going in, right? So it's hard for them to pick a, who they uh, were cheering for. So it was kind of quiet there. Um, I thought the the whole stuff with the low below, I, the inadvertent low blow by Dustin Rose. I thought that was, I think they could have done something else to kind of get sympathy on Dustin not wanting to take advantage of Steamboat. Maybe like he took a bigger bump. Maybe he cracked his head open on the ring post and now he's bleeding and the rest is a really you know, deep cut and the ref was checking him out and Barry's like, oh, now like, just go beat his, ass. get him, get him, get him. And the ref's even telling Dustin like, Hey, let's, I'm checking on this. Right. And Dustin's like, no, nah, this is gives him some time. You know, that's the right thing to do. He's got respect for steam, or something. It just, uh, I don't think the execution was perfect on this, but the angle at the end was great. Um, you know, the, the shot of Barry yelling at Dustin, Dustin, like that was really good. And, you know, Barry turning his back on Dustin when Dustin's trying to explain, Reason why and how he he's also apologizing too. Like I did screw up, and then Barry just gives that like just looks aside, just disgust. He just kicks it right in the gut. It's that beautiful DT which starts off him doing that great DT as a finisher, and um and of course the post match stuff in the locker room is great too. So they end strong. So that leads
0: us. Oh, actually, I do have a couple of notes uh, on uh, from the Observer on that show. Clash of the Champions went head-to-head with the Jackson Family documentary series, which I've probably seen all the way through at least five times. <laughs> um, Lawrence Hilton Jacobs is Joe Jackson. Uh, and then uh, the th- I, I we don't have commercials obviously on the network, uh, WWE Network. But according to Dave, uh, the first commercial break for this match... There was a commercial uh, of WCW Magazine saying if you want the complete story of the Rhodes and Wyndham breakup, mm-hmm. go buy WCW Magazine. So they gave away the finish oh, wow. before the match was over. That classic WCW. Wow. Amazing. Uh, yeah, th- those are the only notes. So let- let's quickly get to this WCW Saturday night, which was a shorter one. Uh, and also next week's is like an hour or under. So uh, we're back to the two hours or maybe a little less. I-, I-, I know some stuff is getting cut out, which I think is why we're getting shorter shows. Because I think they're like cutting stuff out that we we don't, you know, we're not sure of. Yeah, uh, I-, I-, I may have to look at you know, someone's got to have like some recaps of these shows online to see what have a rundown, right? No, he doesn't run down the entire shows. He just kind of gives, gives the news and kind of the stuff that he thinks is important. Um, so uh, show starts. Shanghai Pierce and Tex Lassinger against Joe Cruz and John Peterson. Fairly competitive in the beginning, but uh, the uh, the big bad guys win the match. The w- w- at, w- what were they calling that move that they f- they won with a reverse DDT or slop drop in WWE? Yeah, it's a slop drop in WWE. But in WCW,
1: they didn't. Re- I don't did they no, have a just name a re- for it? Reverse DDT. Mm. And yeah, there was still John Peterson, Joe Cruz. I found out uh, recently that uh, John Peterson passed away a couple of years ago. So oh no way! Yeah. Next is a big Van Vader interview
0: where he's talking about he's the best athlete in the world and just uh, just being just, just, Vader. just being <laughs> a, a, yeah just being Vader just being a gigantic badass dude. Uh, so then they recla- they recap the Clash title change. So we see the whole thing, including the interview at the end where Steamboat gets bashed with the chair. Um, and uh, then uh, Mr. Wonderful, Paul Oondorf, comes out. It's kind of cool seeing Paul. Hadn't seen him in quite a while. I'm trying to think of... He would have left... Uh, 87? WWF in 87, oh, 88, 88, I think early 88, 88. Right? Yeah, 88. Yeah. Then he goes to WCW and he's there for on and off for a little while. Just, just like the spring and summer of 90 by the fall, he was gone. So yeah, so it, it, it'd be, you know, another two years. So we hadn't seen Paul on a national scale in, in a while. He, he had gone to, um, Smoky
1: Mountain. Yeah. Okay. When did you, UWF was after this. Um, 90, no, no. UWF was in 90. Okay, the, the So Herb Abrams stuff. So, yeah. yeah, so he yeah. did that. And remember, he was the rumors that he was dead for a while. No one knew where he was at. Remember, like there's, I don't know if you remember that, but there's like a lot of the magazines. There's like there's rumor that you know Paul uh, Paul Wernherf was dead. Anyways, he comes back for WWE night in 90, so he's not dead, obviously. And then, um, yeah, he did the UWF, the Herb Abrams stuff for a little bit. I don't think he was there long. I think he finally figured out what was going to happen there. And then. Um, and then yeah, he did Smoky Mountain, and they even referenced that in the promo. Well, a little yeah, bit. So Not, Ron no, Garvin, trust, right? Yeah, yeah, he's feuding Ron, Ron Garvin. Garvin. One of the earlier programs was uh, Ron Garvin and uh, Paul Underwood feuding over uh, Paul Underwood's uh, ring rope. I think Garvin took it and stole it and was wearing it and mocking uh, Paul Underwood with it or something like that. So, but uh, it was kind of funny. Like it was like I think it was like a thing for Jim Cornette, right? A little. But they didn't, they never plugged Smoky Mountain though. They just said it in order of blew it off. He's like, okay, I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about me. You know, he's there for business, right? He's there to you know make some business and set up his match with Ron Simmons next week.
0: Yeah, and then um, so then we get to Barbarian and Larry Sant Larry Santo. Barbarian manhandles this dude throughout mm-hmm. the whole match. Big boot, beautiful wins the match.
1: I'm like, as I'm watching this, I'm wondering like, okay. What do you do with Barbarian? That's basically it. He's just gonna be a mid card healed guy, um, unless you build him up to build him up again for a match with Vader or something like that kind of deal. But you know, I could see him as a tag team with Cactus. They would have been a good team. You know, they were a team, but you know, yeah, he's kind of like he's kind of one of those. A gimmick, a gimmick like that is like you build them up to go against Babyface, and they lose and then they go back down the card. You know, that's basically what you do. It's kind of like the old, you know, like they do with Hogan's challengers you know, mm-hmm. back in the day. They would mm-hmm. build up, Hogan do a loop with them, and they'd be in the mid card after that. And then uh, Ole Anderson and
0: Tony Schiavone talk through the Eric Watts workout I found this to be maybe I, I found this to be maybe not as interesting because we just saw him mm-hmm. win the match at the clash with the STF so now we're watching him perfect practice putting it on like you just you just beat one of the greatest wrestlers in the company with it I don't need to see you practice with it you know maybe maybe I can see you do other stuff to perfect your game but you just Tapped out, beautiful Bobby Eaton. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I want to see you, you know, putting Marcus Alexander Bagwell in it in a, you know,
1: in in practice. Yeah, and then there's and that, you see them goofing off. No, like, I didn't see that. At like the end, <laughs> at the end where they're they're teaching uh, Eric Watts the crossface part of the STF. He has them on the crossface, and he's like just twinkles. Uh, <laughs> Bagwell's nose, <laughs> he's mm-hmm. like a little pinch you know, mm-hmm. just fucking around. These guys, like, pretty funny kintsuki sasaki and against bob cook
0: and we get the uh, beautiful judo throw finisher again he
1: hit it really well this time so that was awesome yeah and before we continue on i told you i had a little surprise for you yeah i reached out to bob cook on facebook messenger and i got some quotes from him oh wow i asked him some questions i did some investigating Journalism. <laughs> you proud of me? What did Bob have to say? Yeah. Oh yeah. I can't wait. Well, I I've asked him about the uh, battle of the underdog segment. Yeah. And this is what he says. He says, he didn't know whose idea it was, but it was dusty Rose who booked him to win over Joey Maggs. The reason for the battle of the underdog was to do something different. I felt bad about my match with Joey Maggs because I hurt him in the very first move. So it took away from what I, what, what could have been done. There's a funny story for the match. Before the show Dusty had a big meeting with all the guys surrounding the ring at the center stage laying out the plans for the evening and he says we're going to shake things up tonight and Bobby Cook is going to get getting upset I stood up and said but Dusty I don't want to win and Dusty says sit down and shut up Bob, Bobby you're going to win everyone there roared her laughter <laughs> and he says funny thing about that night as well as I went to an NXT house show a couple years ago uh Bob lives in uh, Florida. So it was probably one of those Loops ones. And and he saw Terry Taylor, who he hasn't seen in 25 years. He like, said, he's like, I didn't think he would remember me. And I mentioned that to him. Taylor laughed and said, Bob, I would never forget anyone who didn't want to win on TV.
0: <laughs>
1: I asked him about how it was working for Bill Watts. He says, awesome. It's so I, because of Bill, he's the one who started the whole best punch in the business gimmick. Crap for. Well, he said, crap for me. He had me try try and teach Eric Watts how to punch, and got me booked on house shows working with Eric. So yes, Bill was very cool from my point of view. And then I asked him about the various job guys because you know uh, John Peterson, who that's that's how I found out he passed away a couple years ago. Um, Eden Weston, who won the second uh, mm-hmm. Battle of the Underdog match. Chris Sullivan, and also Larry Santa, who who uh, we just saw get his uh, his hand, ass handed to him by the Barbarian. And he said about all the guys, all great guys John Peterson was trained by Jerry Gray, who Florida guy, uh, talented job guy, um, mid South guy. Um, and unfortunately passed away a few years ago, John, Chris Sullivan and Ian were, tra- and myself were travel partners. John Peterson and Ian Weston lived in Florida and Chris Sullivan lived in Georgia. John, Ian, and myself would pick up Chris on the way to wherever we were going. Ian was green, but he was wacky and a kooky kind of guy. One of those quiet guys you're a little leery of. (laughs) (laughs) So he was trained by the great Malenko. He was nice, but strange. Larry Santo was a great guy, but they they never traveled together. So there you go from Bob Cook. Wow.
0: Right, amazing that you, have Bob cook who we are watching on television on your Facebook.
1: Well, he's, I told you he's my favorite job guy of all time. And I, and I said, I went, I remember I, I just went up to him at cauliflower uh, about, I guess probably four or five years ago now. And I, he was sitting there by himself at one of the tables for the banquet. And I just wanted to talk to him and say, I appreciate his work and everything. he was like, you're just joking. Cause I always lost all the time. And I was like, <laughs> and um, I even mentioned the story. I, I told him the story at call I don't know if he remembered it, but like, I told him again, like, you know, about the battle of underdogs, you know, Tom Castro and I, you know, we would talk about jobbers all the time. Cause mm-hmm. we love the jobbers. We love them. Mm-hmm. We always wondered they weren't jobbers. Those are preliminary stars. Yeah. And we wonder what they were doing. Well, what shows are they on? You know? And then I told him like, Oh, my favorite was Bob cook. And then I think Tom was like, Do you remember he won on TV? (laughs) So, and, uh, you know, so it was, I shared that story and he decided he got a really good kick out of it. So, so yeah, it's pretty cool. I thought that was was a little treat for the, the audience listening. No, no, it's it's awesome. Um,
0: Okay. So we get a, a, a pretty cool match. I think this was actually supposed to be Sting and Nikita, but instead it's Sting and Van Hammer against Rick Rude and Cactus the match doesn't last very long It's actually what they're building is the Thanksgiving uh, there's a Thanksgiving show where all these guys are in what is is it like a Thunderdome tag match or something
1: the old old, uh, Thunderdome from Halloween Havoc 89 the big cage that you know goes over the ring and yeah so Tony Atlas
0: and Barbarian run in Uh, fans are super hot for this thing Uh, Simmons runs in. Big Van Vader runs in. Vader splashes on Sting, which sets up what's going to happen later. But... You know, this is one of those times where you and I are talking where we're like, man, how you know, why can't we go to the Omni or where, you know, wherever they have these shows
1: because they set up a super hot match and the crowd was going nuts for it. Yeah, this match is great. I really like this match a lot. A lot of fun, fast paced. And if you know, I don't know if he caught the sting when he came out, the crowd's just hot, right? They're just going crazy for him and Van Hammer. And he looks at Sting and looks at Rick Rude and he goes, let's start hot. Mm, no, I didn't see that. And so he just, and so they just and they just go right to it, the big punches, right? Boom, boom. Him and Rude had that great always had that great chemistry together. So they started hot and then they never put the brakes on. It was yeah. like even even in the heat on Van Hammer, it was this constant motion, constant action. Um, this is like peak I mean, this is like classic Bill Watts booking, which he probably got from Eddie Graham. I'm sure he learned this this from him. Uh, where there's multiple things happening in multiple angles and storylines that kind of come together um, I liked Ron Simmons brawling in this it looks so natural and real like he really wanted to kill these guys and there's you know his shirts get ripped and pulled out and all that and then here comes Vader taking advantage of Rick Rude who hits like I think I mean, he must have hit the Rude Raking I'm guessing I didn't see what he hit I was trying to see but he did something and even Ross matches oh, Sting Sting's down Sting's down and then Vader takes advantage of Sting being laid out and hits that big splash on the top and just this was really good stuff no, it was it was awesome and just it's just sad that I couldn't watch the match that they were. I know. I know. Maybe I, I wish they would tape. I wonder, I wonder if they even tape those Omni cards. I know they used to, they used to and they should want to show something, but I don't know if they ever just always brought a camera if they did and they have it. God, I would love to see that stuff. So Ron
0: Simmons is hot. He and Van Hammer have an interview after this segment. Van Hammer gets to talk. So we, we didn't see a music video of his. He actually got to talk uh, and then the next thing is they recap the boxing match, which I think you are kind of <laughs> facetious it. in your love for this. But I fast forward, I fast forward. <laughs> yeah, my my, uh, my my quote here, my my note here was why because I just watched it. Uh, and so then uh, then there's a Vader interview, and Sting is uh, is getting a little bit of revenge here. Sting brings out a two by four, and he hits Vader with the two by four, but Vader. I don't know if the the timing was off or something, but Vader like can see this two by four coming from a mile away, and he just kind of gives Sting the part of his body where he wants Sting to hit it. And um, I'm gonna
1: say this because he's not with us anymore, so I can, because he can't kill me. But. I think Steamboat had bigger balls than Vader because <laughs> Steamboat <laughs> didn't even flinch, dude. Right. He was like, he didn't telegraph shit. Vader's like, oh, here goes, go.
0: <laughs> Bend down. <laughs> you know, when you said that about Steamboat, you know who I watched? Because I, I watched it and then I went back because I w- I wanted to watch it a little bit more closely. I was watching Jesse's eyes. I was wondering if Jesse uh, came away. Oh, I, didn't, I didn't notice So, that. so Je- Jesse he's so focused on Steamboat and for like a second he look, his eyes change slight direction, but then he goes right back to Steamboat and then he moves
1: out of the way. Now we gotta go back and see Douglas's reaction. <laughs> <laughs> this is like a JFK assassination. Yeah, back, yeah. Into yeah. This, is, back,
0: this is a pruder it. tape here. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so then, uh, so Dustin comes out for the match because Dustin and Vader have a King of the Cable uh, semi-final match and harley is pissed he's like you know what this you know why can how how could vader fight like he just got you know hit with this two by four and watts did this you know i'm generally okay with this bill watts stuff but this one was a little bit too much for me watts comes out and basically tells harley to just shut the f up (laughs) match is gonna happen and guess what harley You're crying right now, and you're also going to be banned. So, Harley's so pissed. And then, Vader, we have no idea. Like Vader could be throwing up blood at this point. We don't know. And he's like, and guess what? We're going to start the count right now. So, tell Big Van Vader he's got 10 seconds or Dustin's going to win. They start the count.
1: Well, and Bill Watts' defense. Now, this is, he's reacting to what... Vader took advantage of Sting, right earlier. So this is like his comeuppance, you know, a little bit. Like, hey, man, you guys. Okay, but he, but Vader wasn't the first guy to interrupt that match. I, he was, know, he was just the I cleanup know, hitter I there. Know. He's like, oh, there, there's 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 a little bit of a dead animal there. I'm gonna go grab yeah. it. I, w- I, w- I didn't, I didn't really see that as a negative. But uh, the only negative part I had about this match, and it was a good match. It's just the beginning of it because Vader comes out selling the shot, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But then he's like on the man <laughs> i feel no pain but then he's like "Then didn't, didn't like literally like he i don't know if he forgot he got hit with the poor because he was fine he'd just be Vader, no pain and no fear yeah he, he just went into that mode dude he's gotten that mode and just like he blocked it out well maybe that was the case so the other thing about this is that um
0: they had judges again so like you said the semi-final matches had the judges and they had uh, the same three from the Clash. Jr. almost forgets that there's going to be judges, and as they're talking about the match, he's like, "Oh, by the way, I sh- I'm so sorry. I should have told you that there are judges for this match." So I kind of
1: liked it because it was kind of chaotic with the Harley Race, the mm-hmm. Bill Watt stuff. So that makes sense. That was cool. I like it. it. felt organic and real there. Um, and but the, thankfully, these judges did not have
0: anything to do with this match because. Vader uh, hits the splash from the middle rope uh, to pin. Uh, th- you know the fans were so hot. Anytime mm-hmm. Dustin had any sort of possible uh, comeback or you know g- gave them any sort of hope whatsoever, they were so into it. But uh, Vader won the match, and uh, he and Sting at Starcade,
1: King of Cable. They, I, I will always say this: They, WCW, missed a boat on a Dustin. Challenge of Vader for the world title in 93, with Dustin having Dusty in his corner. And of course, Harley Race will be in Vader's corner. And I think Dustin would have been good, just a quick transitional champion, right? Or a short term champion, like a Tommy Rich deal, and just have him win it in a big, memorable moment. And then, you know, he could probably lose it soon or maybe lose it to someone else. Maybe Rude could get it. Maybe that's how Rude gets it, you know? Um, I just always thought these two had just chemistry in the ring together and it's a natural story you have you know you know the, the the rivals of the longtime legendary rival of dusty Rhodes and Harley race and their history with the world title and then now his son's rest Dusty's son's wrestling and now harley has his protege that's wrestling i just and he's a champion just like he was i just think it was a perfect recipe for a a, a, a memorable moment in wrestling if they would have done it but
0: never got it All right. Well, that is our review of WCW Saturday Night. And uh, we're going to take a quick break and then we will play my interview with uh, Keela Cash, who is also Lady Wrestling X on Twitter. all day every day head to bet online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses don't forget to use promo code bluewire at betonline.ag that's bluewire all in one word bet online your online sports book experts all right we're bringing on keila cash who hosts the russell Soap soaptopia podcast she's known on twitter as Lady Wrestling X, and that is also her handle, at Lady Wrestling X. She puts out at least three shows per week going over every major wrestling TV show. Keela, how are you?
2: Hi, Garrett. I'm doing great. Thank you. Thank you for having me on your show. I really appreciate it.
0: Okay. Can you explain Lady Wrestling X? Who is Lady Wrestling X? Is that your wrestling alter ego? Like, why did you choose that uh, Twitter name?
2: Well, that Twitter name has got under a lot of different handles over the last 10 years. At one point, I was just on Twitter to promote a podcast, post a link up, have little to no interaction with people and be done. But as I started this new podcasting journey about seven or eight months ago, I decided I need a persona that can sell myself in the podcast, but also have a unique perspective on all things WWE and AEW, a little New Japan mixed in for there for good measure. So I needed a persona that works for me and... And I narrowed it down to, is it Queen City Bruiser? That sounds kind of cool, but <laughs> I mean, it was. But then I thought to myself, Lady Wrestling X is something unique. is something different. It's like a mystery as to who I am and what I mm-hmm. talk about. And being very sarcastic on my timeline is a way to kind of get my message across. And you come to my actual show to get like the actual perspective in a serious, but at the same time, kind of funny way at the same time to kind of get your full perspective. On all things wrestling.
0: So now the the title of the oh, though you talk about you, I think you do three different shows a week, uh, all under the Wrestle Soap Topia banner. What is Wrestle Soap Topia?
2: It's a love letter to wrestling and soap operas, the two things that kind of dominated my childhood growing up. Soap operas came first to me back in 1992 with my grandmother, who I miss very much. But we always got together. Around two o'clock to watch another world days of our lives and in the general hospital And then I just brought in my perspective on a whole lot of soaps from passions all my children one life to live as Will Turns, YNR, and The Restless. So I was really a super soap opera fan as a kid. Bought the magazines, watched the Daytime Emmy Awards, watched <laughs> the soap opera awards, that was my thing. And then wrestling came along back in 99, which is kind of like a soap opera for men and women that love the action and the storytelling and the drama between the ropes. So those two things together, two things I still love very much, I still follow regularly. So I put those two things together to create WrestleSeptopia. Now at first, I wanted to do a whole thing on general hospital too, but then I realized I have a life and I, don't want to burn my, <laughs> and I don't want to burn myself out. So I stuck to wrestling and that has been the best decision I've ever made. So as you mentioned, I do three shows every single week covering Raw, Smackdown, NXT and AEW. And it's a lot of fun interacting with my listeners and on Twitter, just talking about the shows every single week. I try to stay away from the timeline on Wednesdays because I'm watching two shows not at the same time but I'm not trying to get spoiled. So I hate not being engaged in the Wednesday Night War online, but I get to have that perspective and fun on Thursday mornings, which is always a good thing.
0: So explain how you stay on top of that schedule, because you're, you know, I, I, I stepped away from Raw last year sometime, and then I stepped away from SmackDown soon thereafter. So I'm not watching all of those shows but i do watch aew and nxt uh, pretty intensely but you know that's what is that like nine hours of television you're watching or something like that like how do you stay on top of that and also stay timely with producing your podcasts because i imagine the listeners expect those things to be up at a specific time
2: Yes, it's a lot of timing. It's a lot of preparation and patience. That's a lot of shows to get through, and especially when I'm watching Raw straight through, God help me, (laughs) every single Monday. I'm kind of flipping back and forth to watch some Monday Night Football on the side, but basically, I take a rundown of what I want to discuss for Monday Night Raw. It's not every single segment, but it's the hot segments on the show that's going to be a hot topic of discussion, and I kind of boil it down to that, and the same goes for AEW and NXT, which is probably... the most two difficult shows to cover because I'm watching them back to back and have to kind of. Think Dynamite first, NXT second, and just go from there. SmackDown's probably the easiest. It's one show, two Mm -hmm. hours, you can knock it out. But the challenge is always doing the shows right after watching them and doing post-production, which takes an hour, then post it online in the morning for my listeners. So it's a great challenge. It consumes a lot of my time. I think we had a private conversation over the summer when I was mentioning that the SummerSlam NBA playoffs, dynamite moving two nights on a Saturday, then on a Thursday, then on a Wednesday, NXT airing on a tuesday then on wednesday that was the most hectic schedule i've ever had podcasting and that's including wrestlemania which is saying a lot so god help me in january for the rumble but i don't think it's going to be that bad but due to the craziness of 2020 that is the extent of my busyness in terms of these podcasts but it's a labor of love and i don't take it for granted
0: what is your goal with the podcast because some people get into it Because they have a love of radio. Like for me, I'm a broadcast journalist major. My career took me in a different path and to sort of the uh, internet uh, industry. Um, But like, when when you decided to to do this and, you know, you talked about your love of, of soap opera and wrestling, but like to actually get behind a mic, like when you set that goal of like, okay, here's what I want to do. Do you set other goals? Like, okay, this is what I want the listenership to be at, at a certain point. Now, you know, we're, we're now maybe we can monetize it, or now maybe we can become a part of a network. Like when you're putting this thing together, like what are some of your goals as far as the things that you want to do with it?
2: I think the goal of every content creator is to reach that one person at first. If one person cares, that is everything. It means you're doing something right. You're not completely sucking at your job. (laughs) There's a hope for some kind of future for you to monetize this. But my initial goal was to be a part of a movement with the birth of AEW almost two years ago. That is going to be like a transformative movement in the industry. It's not moving the numbers crazy enough, but it is creating an alternative to WWE, which is good for everybody. It ups everyone's level of competition and to get better as a television show. So I wanted to be a part of this movement, have a voice for those out there that need a different perspective, that needs to have a straightforward, fun, reliable podcast that you can get your best possible information regarding WWE and AEW. And I wanted to provide a safe space from a lot of the toxicity on social media when it comes to wrestling, that you don't get that from me. You get a really fun show that is going to give you what you need to get you through your day, get you ready for your pay-per-views and everything in between and also shine a spotlight and other content creators like myself that are independent, that don't have a big machine behind them, but do it for the love of what they do and how they do it and how they get their message across. So for me, it's all about, being passionate about wrestling, which I have been for the last 21 years. And to pick up a mic on my own for the very first time, it was definitely scary and challenging. But I have to be incredibly thankful for the people that I worked with for the past five or so years as a co-host to get my feet wet, to get me ready for this moment, to be a solo podcaster. And as I always say, not completely sucking at it.
0: (laughs) Uh, One of the uh, last week or something, I was just listening through to a couple of your different shows and what I heard was a great ability to talk in a great cadence and not do the thing that most of us podcasters do, which is go, um, hmm, uh, uh, uh. And you you have a really great cadence and you know when when I asked you I said you know did you have a background in radio you're like no so where did you get like i imagine you've improved just by doing more podcasts but like how how do you keep that cadence it's it's a really impressive uh, trait that you have as a podcaster
2: It's a lot of practice. I think I go back to my childhood because my parents bought me a play school tape recorder when I was five. And my uncle upstained to give me a fancier tape recorder the same time. And the funny part about the fancy tape recorder is it died in about two weeks. Uh. (laughs) So the play school stuck with me at least through middle school, which was incredible until it upgraded to a bigger tape recorder before they kind of got digitized in the last 15 or so years. So Uh I would always record myself talking whether I was pretending to be the elementary school principal with the morning announcements. I don't know why I did that. I just was really fond of her voice and I wanted to imitate her and I would make up these stories via the recorder. I would read things out loud, print legit articles from the torch and recite them on my recorder to practice on my speaking and dictation and how I would say certain things. And I always got those compliments even when I was in college about you speak really well and like, well, it takes a lot of practice. Mm -hmm. I I can stutter at times, I make mistakes. The power of editing, as I mentioned to you, will (laughs) definitely help me sound a whole lot better than I actually am. So it takes a lot of basically my love of speaking out loud and being a communicator and like yourself, I am. A journalism student right out of Georgia State so I love communicating love talking love writing so all those things kind of put together makes me a semi competent speaker that can get the message across in some kind of way that people can understand
0: so can you talk about doing a solo podcast I love having guests on because hey I love talking to people but also it is really hard to be entertaining with a one voice. I my my partner John The Rock and I when we do our AEW NXT reviews, you know I'm mostly talking to set him up so that you know he can uh, answer the question that I have, and I'm not necessarily thinking of okay I'm you know I have to say it in this way or I have to be I, I'm just. Basically, having a conversation with him. We would have a similar conversation in person, but doing a podcast with only one voice, you are almost like having a conversation with yourself, which seems really hard. Like, I'll do intros and stuff where I, you know, do maybe 15, 20 minutes solo. And even that is hard, but you do this for, you know, for all of your shows. Like, how does that work? And, you know, do you enjoy it or, you know, do you like or do you also like doing it with somebody else but i would imagine that your preference is by yourself because that's kind of how you do these shows
2: yeah, it's definitely something that I was scared about at first because I always had the co-host, and the fear is someone sets you up and you are ready to go. Mm-hmm. And then you are the person setting yourself up, and you have to come up with your intro and your outro, and what are you gonna say to get people into your show? So that very first episode I did recapping the Warrior Bumble. I was a whack. I was a disaster. I sucked. You can't tell because of the power editing how bad I was, but it was really nerves getting the best of me that first episode because this is my first time doing it alone but I think I kind of envision myself as a radio host and I pretend I'm talking to an actual audience of people that have a reason to care about what I have to say, which is always a good thing. So I always take that perspective of it's open mic night for me or I am a radio host or I'm doing some kind of observational comedy piece about wrestling and try to translate it into the podcast, which makes me more comfortable to talk about what I am discussing regarding the television shows. I love the co-host dynamic as well because I love bouncing ideas off of people and having that free form conversation. But as a solo co-host, it does help when you're just the one editing your stuff Mm -hmm. and you're focusing on yourself and you're not worrying about two people. And I do have to give credit to my prior co-hosts for doing that double duty for themselves and for myself. I never had any hands in editing until this year in terms of doing the audio and the music and the cutting and just getting rid of the stuff that sounds like crap to give a somewhat pristine, Presentation for the listeners out there so i have learned a lot being a solo podcaster but it's a lot of fun it can rack your brain sometimes but the end result is always something i'm proud of
0: so let's talk about your background uh <clears throat> as far as being a wrestling fan and you know so w- what's your first memory what what's the thing that got you hooked to make you the fan that you are today and has kept you watching all these years
2: well i started watching wrestling back in 1999 my dad had it on monday nitro i do not know why because As a 12 or 13 year old, you don't know how bad wrestling is. You just think it's something cool to watch. And the first thing I saw, swear to God, was Ernest the Cat Miller dancing. Mm. So that was my first exposure to wrestling. Now, granted, I had a grandmother that would flip the station on, I think maybe WCW on Saturdays, one of their syndicated shows. Mm -hmm. I never paid attention, but Ernest the cat Miller did it for me and I don't know why to this day. So I follow nitro during that time when Goldberg was kind of hot before they botched it with the hill turn back in 2000. And I remember thunder, dear God, with that one too. Uh, <laughs> I was watching, um, SmackDown cause thunder had the week off and that was my first time watching WWF programming. And I'm so out of the loop with people, that I promised you I thought that the big show represented the main event Mm -hmm. and I didn't know they represented the wrestler at the time so blame 13-year-old me for those (laughs) mistakes but I increasingly became a bigger fan of WWF and I stuck through WCW 2000 somehow some way and I've been a fan ever since now I will say 2018 WWE definitely pushed me to the brink of almost giving up and I'm glad I wasn't blogging a podcasting because I think every week I would have been incredibly upset with the programming and just giving up as a fan, but ultimately, I just respect the men and women so much who get between those ropes to entertain us and give us the very best they can, despite some of the material they're given from a 75-year-old man most weeks. He's right maybe once every three months (laughs) with a good angle, but I just enjoy the storytelling of wrestling, about the storytelling of what they do in the ring and how they kind of get that message across to us, whether it's great, bad, or somewhere in between.
0: So, there comes a time with wrestling fans like us where we are intrigued by the action. It's this interesting type of programming where everything happens inside of a ring. And for whatever reason, it works. If you explained that whole thing to someone who, uh, you know, really, really didn't know anything about wrestling, they would be so confused. Like, what? Like, so you're basically having this play, this live-action play, inside of four turnbuckles and ropes and stuff. But as you get older, as you start watching more, something changes in your fandom where all of a sudden, you kind of want to know more about the booking aspect or the inside scoop aspect. As you're... Um, so you would be... Right, you know, right in that time frame, two thousand ninety nine, two thousand. You're one in you know, you're 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 uh, growing up. You're sort of one with the internet at that point. Like I imagine that played something into you becoming a bigger fan and wanting to know a lot of the things that go on as well. But like, when did that time happen for you, where you were just like, I am now an inside wrestling fan. I am now a someone who wants to know more about the business rather than just watching the TV show.
2: I think my first experience of being on the inside, so to speak, is when I read an article from the Atlanta Journal Constitution saying that WCW is $65 million in the red. I'm like, whoa, what does that mean? So you read about the business aspect of their money troubles and the prospect of them being sold to WWF at the time. That was my first insider glimpse into the inner workings of the industry. So I started reading The Torch. I got into all the major wrestling sites, got into The Observer about 10 or so years ago. And those are things that you really wanna know the inner workings of the business. You wanna know the profit margins. You want to know about the ratings. You want to know about the storylines and the booking behind the scenes, getting ready for WrestleMania season and those, Hey, they taped SmackDown on Tuesday. Let's read the spoilers for Mm -hmm. Thursday. Those days. Like I remember those days a lot and it kind of increased the fandom for me, but I kind of go back to where we are today versus where I was 20 or so years ago when I was in high school or just graduating middle school that The kids I was around, they loved wrestling. It was a topic of discussion at breakfast, during gym class, we would have these discussions and there was a group of girls like me that watched Monday Night Raw talking about what happened with Stephanie McMahon, Kurt Angle, and Triple H. Those were the things we talked about and it's kind of crazy today, those conversations happen on Twitter Mm -hmm. and not in person. So I have the flip coin of having both of those experiences growing up and being an adult now talking about it and interacting on Facebook and Twitter about these issues in wrestling. So it's a nice way to say it was hot then, It can be hot now on social media, but in the mainstream, you're not going to have those water cooler conversations you had 20 or so years ago. I snapped at the magazines. I read up every article. That's cool. But I don't think that same fervor is there as it was then.
0: Did you sort of look at wrestling and learning about wrestling kind of like studying or like being a student? Because what I just talking to people, the ones who I find are super smart about it, they were so intrigued that, sort of like what you said, where you're reading anything and everything, you treat it as like a new subject of expertise. And a lot of the people who are really, really into wrestling and who I would consider to know a lot or be smart about wrestling, the one thing that sort of matches in every story is that, that fervor for learning, it was almost like, you know, like a subject in school, like, oh, the wrestling business is this way different thing. And it is so foreign to any other thing that I actually have an understanding of. And it's, I just want to learn it. Like, did you find that that's kind of how you did it? Just had to just know more and more and more and more and more and more and more, more, uh, because it, it was intriguing and so different
2: absolutely and it's kind of the same parallel with soap operas in a lot of ways because that fandom is very similar that you have shows that air in the case of soaps every single day five days a week and in the case of wwe maybe two times a week with and smackdown you at nxt three days a week so you have this fandom of you have these characters that you invest in and fans that love both that can cross-sectionate for me it's like an experience of well this is working this isn't working and then we all kind of argue and complain about it and we have these issues where we're trying to figure out what's right what's wrong and as you look at the talent you can kind of spot certain things that you would do in these situations that you can kind of scream at your television saying you should be doing this and not that and I think over time it just becomes where you just have this sixth sense of spotting things the company cannot see and you always try to dig deeper to find out if you're completely insane or if you're kind of right or the missing the boat. And we can say that for a lot of stars over the past 10 or so years. And I kind of bring that back to Soaps. You see how characters are being presented. They're playing a part on television but the writing it kind of dictates the flow of the storylines on these shows. And if it's not working fans can spot it and they do have a voice to dictate whether or not this person should have a job in a lot of cases. And I don't think fans have that same leeway in wrestling. But in Soaps from my experiences you can dictate whether or not a writer's not going to have a job a executive producer is not going to have a job if, unfortunately, not if people, enough people watch a show gets canceled. So from that experience, I definitely have that keen eye for understanding what's working, what's not working in WWE, and I can say the same for AEW sometimes. But being aware that some people within the within the company themselves might not understand the depths of these issues.
0: Hmm. Um, do you follow? So I, you mentioned soap operas. I imagine that your uh the way that you follow soap operas is 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 just as uh just as passionate as wrestling or maybe even more are there other subjects sports movies culture tv what else are you following really closely
2: right now it's kind of a quiet season because everything's kind of like on chill due to the pandemic a lot of shows not being produced at the moment so it's basically wrestling for me but any fandom that i have whether it's like buffy back in the early to late 90s or 2000s for me any shows like that sports I'm not going to discuss the Falcons. I'm just going to just <laughs> table that discussion or the Braves or anything like that. Um, the go-to teams for me outside of the state of Georgia is probably the Warriors and the Kansas City Chiefs for me at the moment. That's where my passion lies is professional sports teams. I can disown my own team and be proud of it. But at the moment, that's about it for me until things kind of wrap up on the television front.
0: Uh, I think a, a lot of wrestling fans consider wrestling a little bit of a niche product and it also uh i don't don't know if this is the case with you maybe soap operas are 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 pretty uh are are pretty popular but are there any other sort of niche things that you enjoy in a similar way that you know you kind of have to know who you're talking to before you bring it up because you may get like a side eye or something
2: Definitely Japanese anime You, okay. you that have works to be, Yes you definitely have to find the right Person or crowd to talk to That can relate to what you're talking about It's a very niche subject if you're trying to start a podcast Be very mindful of that Because you have to be very focused On a specific passion that you have And that's the kind of thing with podcasting You have to be very specific of what you're talking about Because you're not going to get an explosion Of listeners due to your subject matter Wrestling fortunately it's a lot of it It's a huge market for wrestling which is cool but for like Japanese anime not so much I love Sailor Moon that was my anime growing up that was my Japanese anime soap opera Mm -hmm. five days a week running home from elementary school to catch like the last 20 minutes of the show that was my dedication as a kid so that's my niche Japanese anime that I can talk to a select amount of people about when I do a podcast on it possibly because it does kind of cross with wrestling in a lot of ways it would be like cool to do like this special event or Around Sailor Moon because a lot of female wrestling fans love it, but at the same time, it's like not this super popular thing that's going to really get people buzzing in a lot of ways.
0: Sure, but you know the niche thing because it is a a smaller fan base. At times, that also means that it's a more passionate fan base. And so, for instance, I have a friend who's been on this show uh, before, and I I did. Multiple shows with him back in the day, he is able to basically have his career doing Dragon Ball videos on YouTube. Like that is legitimately his career. Bought a house, that whole thing. So even though it is niche. There if you do it in in a big enough way, I do think that there is a fan base there that uh, you know just is, is waiting for stuff like that. I mean, I don't know how many Sailor, Moon podcasts or YouTube channels there are out there, but you know just because it is niche doesn't mean that you can't actually you know make it big.
2: I definitely agree that was going to be under the WrestleTopia umbrella at first and then it was like oh wow this is a big undertaking but it's something I definitely will reconsider in the future because there is a niche audience within the wrestling community that watches that show and is really dedicated and passionate about it so that's like a dream to have some of the biggest stars in the industry that have that fandom have that discussion that's one of my dreams now to have like a multi-part series discussing the five seasons which one is the best Mm -hmm. which one is the worst i think you can all agree season four is the worst but (laughs) (laughs) i just would love to have that and now that i actually get to see more people come out and be sailor moon fans that's kind of cool for me to actually explore that in the near future
0: all right back to wrestling here who is your favorite wrestler of all time and why
2: Oh my gosh, a very tough question. It's a toss up between The Rock and Shawn Michaels for me because that was the era I kind of grew up in. The Shawn Michaels second half of his career after the layoff of four years is probably my second, second act I've ever seen in wrestling. The performances he those performances he had the last seven, eight years of his career were truly incredible. But The Rock was that guy in 2000 that carried that company when Stone Cold was out of action. He was the star and he was finally breaking through into Hollywood at that time. But that mm-hmm. was the star power for me back in the early 2000s. And Shawn Michaels just being a complete pros pro in the ring, especially in 2002 through 2010, was that experience for me as a fan. And I will also give that nod to Chris Jericho for always evolving and for me he's a chameleon that can do it all and will continue to do so until this like 100 years old
0: honestly <laughs> yeah yeah he, he's he's still going pretty strong there um okay so when it comes to um shows live shows are you someone who enjoys going to live shows or are you someone who would rather watch it on tv like what's your jam as far as watching wrestling
2: if it's in my hometown, I would definitely go. But I have a very love-hate relationship with human beings. So, <laughs> and I mean that affectionately with humans, but I do enjoy the at-home experience because you do get to kind of catch some of the things that you don't see on television, a lot what well, you don't see in person a lot of the times. But for me, being from Atlanta, I think for like the last three or four years, our crowds have gotten a lot better because I used to despise the hometown crowds every time they came to Raw SmackDown cause they were dead mm-hmm. and they were like lifeless with a good reason. But sometimes I was furious with them, like get excited. This is actually a good show. That's why we have not had WrestleMania since, because you suck as a crowd, but...
0: <laughs> WrestleMania uh, 27?
2: Yeah, we have been punished for the last nine and a half years because of WrestleMania 27. Did you go to that show? I did not go to that show, and thank God I did not go to that show in hindsight, but I would love to go to whatever next WrestleMania they pick at the nice big Mercedes-Benz Stadium. It's mm-hmm. been built just for WrestleMania
0: <laughs> since
2: <laughs> 2017, so I would love to go to that one, but it's a mixed of i love meeting different people that are fans but at the same time i do like being at home and just watching it just for the atmospheric perspective at home to see if they completely suck or they're doing a good job and getting the product over
0: Mm -hmm. uh okay so if you think back to maybe your favorite live show would that be a a house show like a wwe house show or were there other pay-per-views that you may have gone to see
2: I'd probably say when Edge won the Rumble in 2010 at the Phillips Mm -hmm. Arena was my Mm -hmm. favorite experience as a fan because we kind of knew he was coming back Because you check the calendar of his injury like okay it's time for a surprise so I loved that moment being in the building that particular night 10 years ago and that was probably one of the rare occasions the crowd was pretty hyped for a major event so that was my probably one of my favorite memories from being a part of a live crowd but the NXT shows at center stage are pretty cool too when they would do the house show circuits Mm -hmm couple of years and they started touring outside of florida that was pretty fun too very intimate um a very kind of nxt takeover light event to get them ready for those takeovers when they were going to new york for those three or four years in a row so that was a nice warm-up to see that up close and personal so
0: out of the shows that you cover obviously the big wednesday night fervor about aew versus nxt where, where where do you sit? Like, do, do you watch these shows and do you cover them sort of how a journalist would? It's really about the positives and the negatives. Or are you pulling in each way just, you know, from a, a taste standpoint? Like, how do you how do you sit with this Wednesday night war?
2: I am very neutral, but I will always say the heart from the beginning of time when NXT got better about seven, eight years ago, that's the heart for me, but the newness of AEW, you cannot deny it because it's something that we have needed for 20 or so years. That's what I watch first. That's the reason the podcast exists. It's because of AEW to give competition to WWE in a good way. And I just think it's healthy competition, but I think we realize now in a perfect world, we show would do better on two separate nights to mm-hmm. grow the industry as a whole, that there are a quarter million people fighting to watch one show over the other once a week. And I would prefer NXT to move to Tuesdays or Thursdays to have that quarter of an extra million people watch your show and then focus on making your show better to what it was back in the network days. And as for AEW, you always root for the new kid on the block because you are the future and laying the foundation for maybe someone to come after you to say that this is is possibly attainable to do another promotion on television and to make bank and to create new stars and that's something that as an industry we have to look for because we're getting older we're not getting younger it's about the next generation of fans and where they come from and it's cool that AEW is trying to attract a younger fan base attract women attract couples attract diversity and to try to broaden a base that is hungry for something different and fresh and NXT was that for a very long time but when you try to compete and that's your only goal it does kind of water down what makes you special even though the takeovers and what they did prior to the net to the switch to the usa network that will always remain true blue the best eras of nxt Mm -hmm. and i think they would be much better served on a different night
0: yeah it's almost they're kind of like the the show that gets thrown to the wolves just be just for competition's sake and it would be great to see outside of that battle, if they did go on a separate night, they could kind of own that and, and and maybe make decisions to improve their show that didn't have to do with taking down the other one. Um, okay, so I have a little section uh, of this when I, when I talk to folks like yourself uh, as a podcaster about the quarantine. This is a time that none of us have ever lived before where we're pretty much stuck at home all the time. And what is a tip or two that you could tell the audience about how you've sort of stayed sane during this quarantine where naturally human beings you know we kind of congregate towards crowds and groups or you know small groups or each other but now you know we're at a place where it's really hard to do that like how have you stayed sane during this time
2: it has not been easy. It has been probably the most difficult time of my life because this quarantine hits me very personally. I did lose a friend to COVID earlier this year, so that definitely took me on an emotional roller coaster of being at home, being depressed, being isolated from your loved ones, and just dealing with your own own pain at the exact same time. But I will say, my advice is just stay calm. There will be a sense of normalcy. We don't know when it's going to be, but just occupy yourself with things that you love to do, whether it's binge watching your favorite TV shows, reading a book, listening to music. Watching wrestling has been a great outlet for me. This podcast I have been doing has been a true lifesaver to my sanity. A lot of meditation, a lot of just self-reflection of what you've experienced this year because you have a lot to tell your friends and grandkids or kids someday about this crazy year, but just find things that you love to do and improvise. And always, if you're not doing okay, tell someone. Mm-hmm. That's always important just reach out to someone if you need to talk to someone. Message them, call them, do something because you're not in this alone. But I think it's important for us to realize things will get better. It sucks right now. I think we all had to adjust during this time. I know I had with this show that I'm doing. You have these big ambitions, these big ideas. But at the same time, you have to kind of downsize and be more realistic but not lose your love for what you're doing. So that's definitely my advice. Stay calm. Stay steady. Find things you love to do on the side whether it's drawing or reading or writing just find an outlet that you can just express yourself freely and as i said if you need help don't be afraid to reach out to someone
0: yeah in a weird way the pandemic has kind of forced me to be more creative with this show uh, I mean, we have more time in the house, so you know when you when you have more time, when you're not doing any specific thing, uh, you know, you start thinking about different ways. Oh, you know, and so I started finding myself thinking more and more and more about this show and about podcasting in general. And so, in like a weird way, like the pandemic has actually helped this show. And it's the maybe the one positive out of the pandemic for me is that it did allow me to kind of uh, build this thing a little bit more. But you know, I, I really kind of echo what you said, which is, you know, find something because if you if you can come out of this pandemic with a new skill, which you don't have to, or a new love, or a new um, passion. I think that that's a, that would be a good way to reflect back. Oh yeah, remember that time when we were all stuck, you know, it was so terrible, but at least it allowed me to do this. And I think that's the way that I'm at least going to try to to remember it. Obviously, there's going to be lots of different memories, but that's the way that I'm going to try to think about it, you know, for in a positive perspective, I guess.
2: Yeah, I definitely agree. This podcast for me has been a godsend this year. I was actually supposed to start it in October, the first episode of Dynamite on TNT, and it didn't pan out that way. So I guess the universe was saying, well, you're going to do it in January, and guess what? A pandemic's going to hit in March, (laughs) and that's going to... excuse me. it's going to fuck everything up. <laughs> so it's going to destroy your entire idea of doing all of these shows and you're going to be depressed for a while and it's going to suck, but you have this podcast and you have great co-hosts that can jump in at a moment's notice to give you some levity and some light and you can find some joy for what you do. So I have grown to love it more despite what's happening this year, yeah. which will be a very unforgettable year, but I guess it was meant to be to do it during a pandemic because who saw this coming
0: yeah yeah totally uh surely not the president but um so one other question i have that's related to the quarantine um when it comes to you you mentioned this you you already mentioned you know whether it's a book or a movie or, or whatever can you give me one of each that you've that you can recommend Uh, of late maybe you maybe you're reading more or whatever but if you have a book a movie or a show a podcast that you may have listened to or a new album could you give a recommendation for all four of those
2: okay so for the movie I think the first months of quarantine was like the worst, but the one movie that softened my heart, that can be very hard as ice sometimes, was actually Bumblebee, the best Transformers movie of all time. <laughs> 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 when noted thespian John Cena in the right. supporting role. That's right. a great movie. It's a great escape for two hours. It makes you think the world is less shitty for two hours. It's a great remembrance of, oh, things were good like a year or so ago and look at it now but it's a great way to forget i recommend that movie i saw a lot of people talk about it during quarantine season so that's my go-to movie if you need a distraction as for music for like two months i was listening to no music i was just in a really bad 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 way but for a recommendation for end of the year best album of the year nominations or whatever you want to call it i would recommend lady gaga chromatica i think it's a great dance, pop album that will make you happy. It will get you excited for life. That definitely got me through quarantine season. As for a book, I'm still working my way through um, Postcards from Venus by Shusha R. Thomas. It's a book from the Napoli Ever After series. It's about kind of escaping your troubles, which is very relevant during this time about finding yourself once again, going through a rough patch in your relationship, but also finding more trouble along the way. So you can find that on Amazon. And what was your third thing? or the fourth thing that you want to podcast podcast
0: i don't know if you're a podcast listener you do a podcast i don't know if you also listen to a lot of podcasts
2: i do listen a lot um cheap plug you can subscribe to wrestling observer radio (laughs) <laughs> um 99 a month to get some of the best podcast information as a wrestling fan that you could possibly get. But that's just me, but also the New Day podcast, a great resource. And actually, the entire collection of podcasts on the WWE network, the free tier, I believe. There's a lot of great content from Isaiah Swerve Scott, The New Day a lot of great content to learn from your favorite stars as a way to get more information from your wrestlers as to what they like and what their interests are, such as what we're doing right now. So that's a great outlet. Any podcast, honestly, that will liven up your day, whether it's your drive time traffic or trying to get through the evening rush or listening to my podcast being completely biased, but those are ways to definitely get you through this quarantine time that we're living in. So you mentioned
0: the New Day podcast and there was an episode with Andreas Hale and it was Biggie and uh he like they, they have a connection. They've they have a really good friendship. And so I watched this podcast and it was I, I I've told Andreas to uh you know personally that i think this is my favorite podcast of the year and it wasn't even about wrestling in in any way it was just about where we were um in the world at the moment after george floyd and i just saw those guys and the way that they carried the weight of what they had just seen and so you you take you know you you take the wrestling piece out of them and you just see them as you know four african american men dealing with this information which was which they were were visually watching and the reaction to it both positively with black lives matter and negatively with everything else you know that that is going on how did you In your role as a podcaster but also just as a as a woman as a minority in this world how did you deal with watching these guys and did it did all that resonate with you as much as it uh, resonated with me
2: it did Biggie breaking down got me cuz he never gets emotional in that way and Xavier and Kofi as well it was a very deep and powerful conversation and this summer with black lives matter with hashtag speaking out those serious heavy conversations had to be discussed on my podcast because you couldn't ignore it it'd be very dumb of me to just say well this is what happened on smackdown this is bigger than wrestling right what got me was the community itself like every wrestler known to man just about was talking about this publicly. They were upfront about the justice that they seeked regarding George Floyd and Breonna Taylor for that matter. It made me proud to be a wrestling fan that the industry was stepping up and doing fundraisers and selling t-shirts and just doing the right thing to get the message across. And it's something that I couldn't ignore. I was incredibly touched by the message that I heard from the new day. That's probably is my favorite podcast of the year that hit every point and told the stories that needed to be told in a public setting like that. I'm glad that WWE published the entire episode for all of us to see and hear on their YouTube channel. But it's a way to have those difficult conversations that you need to have. You can't shy shy away from it. It's something that you need to talk about. You cannot be afraid to talk about it. If you lose listeners or supporters, so be it. But I think at the end of the day, like our voices matter. It counts for something. And to experience that in his rawest form on television with George Floyd and how he died and the matter in which he did with no dignity, no respect whatsoever, it shakes you. And I think it shook everyone. And it was very refreshing to see the industry kind of step up and say those things publicly and not be afraid of any political backlash from their companies.
0: And and to this day, Big Ye, when he's on television... He is recognizing that, you know, that the the movement is it's not out of the news, but as the news cycle changes, you know, then it became uh, the coronavirus, the pandemic, and then it went back to injustice. And now, you know, it's the election and, and the results of the election. So, you know, the, the Black Lives Matter movement isn't as much covered. By mainstream news right now, but Big E continues to do what he was doing during that time. You know, celebrating the lives of, of, of folks and just reminding everybody that this is not just something that happened in 2020, right? Like this is this is something that is finally it's finally getting a little bit more um, of of uh, I don't know a, a flashlight shown on it. But we've had so many examples in, in, in our past of of this happening in this world when it comes to inequality, and I, I really commend him for keeping it going because he doesn't have to toot his own horn about it. He's doing it in a, in a very subtle and respectful way. But it's also like, hey guys, remember that thing that we were talking about three months ago? Guess what? It's still here. It's not over, and this is. And I'm letting you know that.
2: I love it, and I go back to actually Monday Night Raw with the New Day, and I saw the gear they were they were they were wearing, and I think the Bleacher Report wrestling Twitter account posted the up close visuals of their ring attire, and it was this New Day rocks schoolhouse rocks drip of celebrating all of the activists from the civil rights movement. And I wanted to cry over people being drawn on their outfits. It was so powerful, that little subtlety of sending that message of we do matter and the things that we have done to get us here and the long journeys we have to go through to keep the fight alive. And I appreciate Biggie for that always speaking up, paying tribute to several people that don't get their names recognized enough in the mainstream and to have have that platform is truly amazing. And to go back to what you said, I think there was this kind of sad joke that was like trending on Twitter over the summer like COVID had a 20 to 3 lead, racism took the lead again. Now racism had 20 to 3 lead, COVID is retaking the lead, but we cannot forget these things. They are cross-sectional in nature. It's always a never-ending battle. Unfortunately, COVID is a battle that was quite frankly preventable in a lot of ways, but Mm -hmm. racism is something that is going to be a sticking point in this country for a very long time. And those are conversations we have to have. We cannot shy away from it. And I'm glad that Big E and Kofi and Xavier are using their platforms, using what they wear on their backs to send that message in a powerful way and to make me tear up over Schoolhouse Rocks, which is just insane to me but i appreciate it because i love that show and i love that messaging on their ring attire this week so yes little old me cried over schoolhouse rocks (laughs) help me
0: well i appreciate you coming on the fight game podcast and hanging out with me uh this series is all about shining a light on others as, as much as i can it's not like i have this gigantic uh, podcast as well but i just like talking to people and i like finding out what drives them i like figuring out what is it this thing like why do you do this thing which is a tedious thing that you know people would look at the amount of work that we put into our passion and go like oh my god you know that's a lot i'd rather like watch tv or i'd rather sleep but for us it is kind of the thing that, you know, that drives us at the same time. So uh, just love talking to people who enjoy this kind of stuff. So thanks for coming on. Where can people find your work? I'm assuming Twitter, but where else can they find uh, what you're doing?
2: Well, first off i want to thank you for allowing me to be on your show it's an honor to talk about what i love and you giving this platform to fellow content creators is a great thing listening each other and sending this message of like we're in this together and we're Absolutely. trying to we're fighting we're fighting together to get our message across and to have fun while doing it and just having a love for what we do which is super important but you can find me on social media at Lady wrestling x on twitter and on instagram at wrestlers Utopia. there you can find me basically post little clips of the episodes before you get to hear them in their entirety a little sampler of what you can get from the full episode if you check it out three days a week on all of your favorite podcast directories apple Podcasts, spotify all the places i'm everywhere and thank you you once again for having me on your show garrett it was truly a pleasure
0: absolutely go check out uh keela's page her podcast and you know like i said doing uh solo stuff is really hard and she's really good at it so uh so thanks thanks keila i'm double g we'll see you when we see you peace out